unless cash flow is an issue, then one should structure their income protection in their personal names so they can get the higher tax deductibility in their personal names as opposed to what you can get in super. But as cash flow is an issue, they don't have the capacity to fund it personally, then there's an argument there to structure it through super. We would always advise our clients, don't have it in super indefinitely, have a plan to try and get it out of super at some point because you don't want to erode your retirement savings in premiums. So have a plan in place at some point to get it out of super into your personal name and you can do that. You are listening to Australia's Tax News Podcast, Tax Talks, the podcast for Australian tax professionals. Welcome to episode 180 of Tax Talks. This is Heide Robson and thank you to Class for sponsoring this episode. This is the last episode in our mini-series about personal insurance. We will cover income protection, trauma and two business-related personal insurances. Let's start with income protection. Here's Daniel Mikhail of Partners Wells Group in Sydney. Income protection covers loss of income, so TPD and income protection could often pay out at the same time, couldn't they? Because yes. when you are TPD, you also lost your income. Yep, that's right. So TPD, if you've got income protection and you've got TPD... You're basically doubling up. You are, but TPD is designed to cover the one-off or lumpy expenses. So, for example, repayment of debts. You might need some modifications to your home, done wheelchair ramps, etc. Again, we make a provision for that in any cover that we recommend to our clients. So all those one-off lumpy items are covered through TPD and then your income replacement is through the income protection. So TPD and income protection might be triggered by the same event. Yes, but they cover different expenses. But so in theory, and could also just have a higher TPD or a higher income protection policy. Well, your income protection, you can only cover up to 75% of your income or, or 84.5% of your income, including super. So oh, you cap okay. that. So you can never insure more than that of, of your income. TPD is, well, the, the sky's the limit. Obviously, it has to be justified. Yeah, I mean, whilst there is a cap on how much TBD you can take out, the cap is fairly high. We're talking, you know, three million, I think it is off the top of my head. So uh, as I said, TBD is really designed to, you know, uh, pay off those one-off items, debt, home modifications, medical expenses, ongoing care, all those sort of things. So we just work through what the client needs. So income protection is basically replacing your current income TPD is covering any additional expenses you will incur due to your disability That's right. plus your debt. That's right. That's right. Now, one might say, well, okay, if I'm not working, I'm ultimately spending less and 75% of my income would be okay. I don't need to cover ongoing care through TPD. I can cover that as part of the income I'm going to get through income protection. And we just have that conversation with the client around, well, what do you need? And the next step is, well, how do we fund those needs? Do we fund it through TPD or do we just have the IP? Or NDIS? Or Does NDIS come I into the don't conversation? Know, I don't know much about the NDIS, to be honest. But Or you can, it's not great, but there's obviously the disability support pension, which doesn't pay you much. So most people don't want to live off the disability support pension. 
because it doesn't give you, as I said, that much. And there tends to be a significant change in lifestyle if you have to live on that sort of income. Okay, so income projection is capped to 75, 85% of income. Yeah, 84 and a half if you include super. Oh, yes. I see, 84 yeah. and a half. Yeah, so they always, most insurers, yeah, there are a handful of insurers that will cover 100% of your superannuation contributions. So that's the 9.5%. So you take the 9.5% plus the 75%, you get to your 84 and a half. So you could get two payments. You could get a TPD yep. and an IP Yeah, so one will be recurring in nature. One will just be one lump sum. Good. And so then you have agreed value or indemnity. And agreed value is that you show proof of your current earnings now. And then that topic is ticked off and they will never ask about your earnings again. Mm -hmm. Or you can go for indemnity and then you just tell them what you earn, but nobody asks further questions. But then at claim time, you need to show that you actually did earn that income. That's exactly right. Yeah. So at claim time, you need to demonstrate that you're actually earning the income that you said you've earned at the time of application, and if your income, for whatever reason, does not stack up at the time of claim, then you're potentially going to get less than what you're actually insured for. And this is where a lot of people get caught out, and it tends to affect self-employed people more than employees. Because their earnings fluctuate. Because their earnings fluctuate. And if they've had a couple of poor years leading up to the date of claim, then ultimately that could mean that they're getting it less than what they're actually paying for. And so inside of super, you usually can only have indemnity and yes. outside of super, you can have agreed value yes. or, indemnity. or indemnity. Yes, that's yes. right. You've got the option outside. And I think inside of super, they only look at the, the last 12 months of that's your correct. income, whereas outside of super, they take the best year of the last three years. Two or three, depending on the insurer. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So but it just gives you a little bit more flexibility. Gives to you pick more of a window. Good, yeah. Yeah. To pick a bit more of a window. Year. That's right. That's right. That's within the indemnity contract. Within the greed value contract, that doesn't even come into play because it's based on what you've locked in at the time that you apply for the cover. The indemnity becomes relevant, or the the difference in the indemnity becomes relevant where if it's structured through super or outside. Yeah. In terms of that window, they can look back at prior to claim. And then if you're unemployed at the time of claim, mm -hmm. inside of super, they don't pay anything. Outside of super, they still pay Correct. the agreed value. Yep. So if you have an indemnity contract outside of super, you can still, hopefully you haven't been unemployed for the full two or three years and you can still pick the good year where you were employed. That's right. That's but right. inside of super, you could have worked until the day before the accident. If you were unemployed on the day of the accident, then... You don't receive anything. Yeah, you've got to be gainfully employed at the time of claim. So if you're not gainfully employed under the CIS rules, you can't get paid. Simple as that. And a lot of people get caught out on that. And it's a big topic because employment is a lot less constant and stable nowadays. People change jobs a That's lot. That's right. The TSB of 1.6 million has no effect on it. No effect on it, yep. protection yep you get a tax deduction inside and outside of super yes. hence it makes sense to have the policy outside of super because your income tax rate tends to be higher outside of super than the 15 percent inside of super that's right that's exactly right yeah yeah so unless cash flow is an issue then one should structure their income protection in their personal names so they can get the higher tax deductibility in their personal names as opposed to what you can get in super 
But as I said, if cash flow is an issue, they don't have the, the, the capacity to fund it personally, then there's an argument there to structure it through super. We would say to our, or we would always advise our clients, don't have it in super indefinitely, have a plan to try and get it out of super at some point because you don't want to erode you know, your retirement savings in premiums. So have a plan in place at some point to get it out of super into your personal name and you can do that. Protection is taxed. Mm, yep. Outside of super, it's just normal income like anything else. Yep. As if you were paid a wage. And inside of super, it's again this formula, and some of it goes to the text element, some of no, it goes to the No, 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 not at all. Not at all. So this one's pretty straightforward compared to the other two benefits. It, it basically, most insurers will, what they will do is they'll work out the tax for you. So it's just normal income tax and they'll pay you the net amount, right? As opposed to a policy that's held in your own name, what they will do is they will give you the sum insured and it's up to you to withhold tax. It's up to you to then pay income tax installments. Yeah, so you have to pay tax yeah. on that income. Yeah. Within 12 months, the ATO will cotton on that you are now receiving regular payments that are not taxed. Correct. So you will receive a nice letter you saying, can you please pay, pay installments? Pay yeah. installments. Oh, yeah, yeah. I suspect that would, and particularly if you're on a long-term claim, because the ATO wouldn't want you know, their tax being paid annually. Um, and you know, it obviously might put the client in a difficult position in that they may have spent some of the the tax that the ATOs owed and all of a sudden they've got a bill that they've got a foot, which they may not have the money for because they've spent some of it. It doesn't go into the taxable component. Categorically, it doesn't. So this covers Daniel's review of income protection. But before we cross over to trauma insurance, I want to look once more at how income protection benefits. So when the income protection policy kicks in and pays you a benefit, how those payments are treated for tax purposes when the policy is held within your SMSF. I asked Daniel about this after the interview, and what he says is this. What normally happens here is that the insurance provider will withhold tax from the insurance benefits. The net insurance benefits are then paid directly to the insured and completely bypass the SMSF. There is therefore virtually no involvement from the SMSF itself, and it is effectively a payment from the insurer directly to the life insured. End of quote. And Daniel did say life insured. And so I asked him, why is he talking about life insured and not income insured? Because we are talking about income protection here and not life insurance. But Daniel said that for income protection, the life insured and the income insured are one of the same. They're just different terms but mean exactly the same thing. So when you hold income protection within super, the actual payouts go net of tax directly to you and surpass your SMSF. So all this so far was about income protection. But Now let's look at trauma slash critical illness insurance and then also two business-related personal insurances. So back to Daniel Mikkel of Partners Wealth Group in Sydney. Why would you need trauma and critical illness? Because if you can't work, income protection kicks in. And if you're seriously ill, 
and probably won't recover, then TPD kicks in as well. Why do you need trauma slash critical illness? Yeah, good question. Trauma insurance serves a couple of purposes. Now, remembering that if you're critically ill, generally speaking, you're unable to work for a number of months or a number of years. And during that time, you're, you're only getting 75 or 84 and a half percent of your income from income protection. So there is that shortfall, okay? Now, some people can't afford to live off, you know, or have a reduction to their income of 15% or greater, and therefore we use the, the trauma insurance to plug that shortfall for that period of time, okay? So we would have provision in there within the trauma insurance, X amount to cover the shortfall for a number of years. So in effect, they're getting their full income replaced for that period of time. So that's one element. The other element is there tends to be fairly large medical expenses associated with trauma events, particularly cancers amongst others, but cancers are probably the one where people might require specialist treatment. They may need to go overseas for specialist treatment. This provides the client or the patient with options in terms of the available treatment to them. So we would generally put in a provision for the client to enable them or to give them, I guess, some options around treatment for their trauma event. And the other element would be, you know, particularly if you've got family involved, husband, wife, kids, you know, the spouse may need to take time off work to care for the affected person. The spouse might not have leave accrued or unable to walk away from their business for a period of time. So this provides an injection back to the family to enable that person to take time off work or take time away from their business to care for the for the affected person and have that provision there to essentially fund themselves or employ managers or whatever to keep their businesses going. So it can be used for a variety of purposes and it really comes down to what is that person's individual needs. Trauma is like life insurance, like TPD, in that it is an agreed value yeah. and once the value is agreed, it doesn't matter That's at it. all what you're earning. That's it. That's it. Not like to earnings at all. And there's no tax deduction for premiums? No. And you can't hold trauma insurance inside of super. You must always hold it outside of super. That's correct, yep. And the payments are not income because you didn't get a tax deduction. Correct. That's right. So it's not assessable at all. It's all tax-free, yep. So that is different to income protection? Yep. Because that is assessable? That's right. Income protection will always be assessable and always deductible. It doesn't matter how you hold it. It's quite confusing, isn't it? A little bit, yeah, yeah, yeah. I suppose the rule of thumb is is that if you're claiming a tax deduction, the proceeds will more than likely be accessible. And if you're not claiming a tax deduction, the proceeds will not be accessible. Yeah, the only exception is life insurance within super and the proceeds go to a tax dependent. Correct. That's, That's the, the only, only exception to the rule. Exception Correct. That's exactly rule. right. Actually, one thing I wanted to ask you is, we covered life insurance, TPD, income protection and trauma, critical illness. Are there other personal insurance products? Yes. And these are just the four most common types? Four most common, but not, not the only ones. So there probably is a wide range of other products that no, are there's there. only one more. Oh, okay. <laughs> only one more. So the other one is more related to business than it is to, um, well, it, sorry, 
It relates to the individual, but more from a, from a business perspective in that it's called a, a business expenses policy. So it works similar to the income protection, but it, what it's designed to do is replace the ongoing or provide funding for the ongoing fixed expenses of running the business. Okay, so... When the business owner can't work, correct. so there's no income coming in, that's already bad, but even worse is that the fixed expenses are Continue. keep running. So rent, wages, membership costs, telephone, all those fixed ongoing expenses that will still continue to need to be paid if the individual can't work. And what a business expense policy will do is cover those expenses for a period of up to 12 months, mm-hmm. up to 12 months, and then it ceases after that. I see. So yeah. that, that also falls under personal insurance. It does, yes, yes. And the other one would be, um, you may have heard of the term key man insurance. No, no okay. never. Again, so this, this more relates to, 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 to business. Mm-hmm. And all it really is, it's, it's just a combination of, of death, TPD, and, and occasionally critical illness or trauma insurance. So key man insurance can be broken up into two components. One is what we call the capital requirements. If you've got someone in, in partnership or in a business partnership and one person in that partnership passes away or becomes seriously disabled, there needs to be some sort of exit strategy for that particular partner. So what we do there is we quantify or they quantify what they think the value of their business is. And what we do is we insure each individual within that partnership for their share of the value in that business. So on in the event of a claim or in the event of, a, in the event of something happening, i.e. a death or disability occurring, the person who's been affected, they would get their share of their business from the proceeds of the insurance and then what would happen is the remaining business partner would basically take over the full ownership of the business and be able to continue, you know, continue with the, with, with the business. So what, what it effectively does is the person who's been affected by death or disability, they've been remunerated for their payout on, on their share of the business. They can exit the business and, and they've been paid and the remaining business partner can then effectively continue and not have to go and find... Uh, or, or because uh, the alternative is, yeah. Otherwise, they have to negotiate with the estate to that's buy exactly the right. other half that's of the right. business. That's right. So, so in the event of can... death, you've got to negotiate with the estate. The estate has the right to go and sell their share of the business to anyone that, that's willing to give them the best dollar for their share of the business. Now, that might not be a person that would get along with the remaining business partner. So, all of a sudden, if that were to occur, you got two people in business together who don't get along, it's not going to take a lot of time before that business ends up running into all sorts of issues. This way, the exiting business partner due to death or disability gets paid for their share and the remaining business part resumes full ownership of the business and they each go in their separate directions. So the business usually would have it for both partners, so it probably would even be paid by the business. Yeah. And then it's basically it shows each partner that if the other partner is down, that they can then keep running. Continue on. Yeah, and you've got that funding it's, arrangement. Yeah, it's like in a guaranteed exit strategy. Correct. That's exa- Yeah, that's precisely what it is. Yeah. That's designed to facilitate a smooth exit uh, of you know, one or both business partners in the event of death or disability. 
Um, but underpinning all that, if you've got the, because a lot, a lot of times I see people have the insurance in place, but forget to put the legal agreement in place. If you don't have the legal agreement in place, but you've got the insurance in place, it doesn't work. It, it doesn't work. The insurance is not worth the, the paper it's written on because the problem that you have is if one person passes away, their estate will get the share of insurance and they'll also retain their share of the business. And the poor guy who's left in the business is going, well, hang on, where's, you know, mm. uh, where's the other half? And that's because if you don't structure it properly, you can find yourselves, well, clients can find themselves in that position. Mm. Uh, so it's important that you underpin all this with a legal agreement. That so, so do you work closely with lawyers when it comes to key man insurance? Yeah, we've got our own internal legal practice. So whenever we're putting in place this form of insurance, we would suggest that they speak to our internal lawyers who can put in place the appropriate agreements to facilitate that sort of strategy. Because if you have one and not the other, it just doesn't work. It just doesn't work at all. Yeah. Mm. So that's to deal with the capital component. There's also an, the other component that that, de- that you deal with in the, on the capital side is repayment of any debts because ultimately you want the debts to die with the individual. Repayment of debts, another component. And then you've got key man revenue protection. So what I mean by that is basically if there's a key person in that business who's integral to generating income within that business, ultimately if that person were to exit due to death or disability, it's probably going to have a significant revenue impact on the business and therefore affect the bottom line. Now, banks could potentially start to get nervous if they see profitability fall They may call in the debt. It might make key stakeholders within their business a little bit nervous. Uh, So ultimately what we're trying to achieve here is to restore the top line, which is the revenue line, and that will obviously filter down and and ensure the profit is maintained and that generally keeps all stakeholders pretty happy. So the way we do this, we quantify what we think the revenue loss is going to be. Okay, is that $100,000 a year? Okay, if so, how long do we need before the business can get back to its original position before the event happened. If it's a couple of years, two or three years, then we we quantify that out. And basically what that happens is in the event of a claim or in the event of an event, those proceeds are paid back to the business as revenue, taxed as revenue, and that helps restore the profitability of the business and, as I said, keeps all stakeholders pretty happy. Premiums on that component, tax deductible and also assessable, on the other component, which I talked about, the capital component, not deductible, not assessable, provided you structure it correctly. If you don't structure it correctly, then there is potential capital gains tax on the TPD and critical illness components. Within the uh, key man insurance? Yeah, correct. How common is the key man insurance? Because I had never heard of it. Common with businesses. So particularly businesses who where there's a partnership involved. So when you come across businesses who are in partnership. So a lot of legal practices, accounting practices, etc., would have those yep. policies. Anything, anywhere we you see a business which has a value to it and there's two people, in, or two or more people involved. And ultimately, if, if something happens to one of those individuals in that business, there needs to be a discussion around, well, what is the exit strategy? Okay, what is the funding arrangement for that exit strategy? Because the last thing you want to do is if the remaining partners don't have the funding 
because they may have already borrowed up to they may they may already yes. fully leveraged and they can't they mm. don't have any further capacity to borrow even further to buy out the remaining partner. So a discussion needs to be had around well what is your exit strategy? How are you going to fund it? Now we're not necessarily saying that you have to use insurance. We're saying that or I'm saying think that, about it. Think about it, document it. If insurance is the funding mechanism, great. If it's not, well, even better. But what is it? And have it documented. So there's a clear strategy or clear exit strategy documented. Everyone knows exactly what's going to happen should one of them pass away or become seriously disabled. When you look at your clients, are most insurance needs around personal insurance needs, so life insurance, TPD, income protection and trauma, or do you have a lot of business clients where business expense policy and key man insurance comes into play? So when we're dealing with business clients, we're looking at both aspects. We're looking at the key man side of things, and that's one separate discussion altogether, and we deal with that separately. And then we also look at their personal situation and what needs they would have in that particular area. So for the key man insurance, you probably need to talk to both partners. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. it's a discussion with both because you can't have one, not the other. And, yeah, there are various issues that we need to talk about. And, yeah, so we start to talk about those, document what the strategy is going to look like, and then put in place the appropriate insurances to deal with the exit of um, one of the partners in the partnership. And then we have a separate conversation altogether around their personal insurance needs. Around life insurance, life insurance. TPD, so, so income if, protection, if that person trauma. were to become disabled, death or die or have a serious illness. What, what would is, happen to the family? What would happen to the family? What are the implications to them personally as, as a family unit? Yeah, mm. correct. So they're basically they're two questions. If you die, what would happen to your business? And then the second question is what would happen to your family? Correct. It's not necessarily in this order. No, no, that's right. That's family right. probably that's comes right. first. That's right. right. That's exactly right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, I mean, look, as I said, every, every client is unique and their, you, you need, their individual needs are going to be unique. Uh, what we do here for, for our clients is work through those needs, have a you know, very thorough conversation around what those needs look like, how do we fund them, and then we start to talk about all the various options with respect to the product in terms of, in terms of the insurances. And as I said, if they've got existing insurance insurances in place, well, that's an opportunity for us to review that just to determine whether it's the policy features and benefits are going to meet those clients' individual needs. Welcome back. So this was our mini-series about personal insurance, life, TPD, income protection, trauma, and then business expenses as well as key man insurance. In the next episode, episode 181, Peter Bobman of Arge Lawyers in Sydney will talk about SMSF corporate trustees. Until then, thank you for listening and thank you to Class for their support. Bye for now and see you in the next episode. <music>